I just want to say, my name is Lee, and I'm one of the pastors here. We are so grateful that you chose to worship with us this morning. Uh, and I was just thinking, as, as Ian was leading us in that last song, the verses towards the end, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Right? That's who we are. At our core, we walk away from God every time. And so, but it follows up with, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Because we need God to be able to do that because we can't do that on our own. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, we thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you are holy. God, we thank you that you do not just leave us, God, but that you are in the mix with us, God, that you are there with us when life is hard, when life is terrible, when there seems to be no way out, God, that you are there with us. Lord, you bring us comfort and you bring us hope. God, and that is because you are sovereign. That's because you are in control of everything, God. And we thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that today we see the need for that, Lord. God, to understand that if we are left to our own choices, we will often choose wrong. But God, if you are active in our lives, then we have everything to be hopeful about. So God, open our eyes and our hearts to see your word this morning, Lord, and to see the things that you have done and the ways that you love us. So in your son's name I pray, amen. So, I, you know, I preach uh, a handful of times a year, and so this is my first time to be preaching since we got rid of the mask, so it's very nice to be able to look out and see people's faces. Whether or not that's good or bad, I guess we'll find out by the end of the sermon if that's a good or a bad thing. Uh, but hopefully it'll be good. We're going to be in John chapter 12, so if you have your Bible with you, get that out. If you are reading on your phone, open your Bible app. Uh, or if you don't have either one of those, underneath your seat we have a Bible that looks just like this, so feel free to get it out. You can keep that, take it home with you, and if you are using that one like I am, it is on page 735. And so we're going to be reading in John chapter 12, verses 37 through 50. Now, up to this point, Jesus has been talking about he is the light that's come into the world to take us out of darkness. He's been performing miracles for everybody to see. None of this has been hidden, but it's been out in the open. And so John's going to use this time to tell us how everything that was talked about in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus, because he's wanting to show people that Jesus is the Messiah that everyone has been told would come. So we're going to start in verse 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. 
For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And so what John is doing here, he begins, the first thing he does is he says, Jesus is performing all these miracles, yet people are still not believing in him and what he's doing. They're still not believing that he's the Messiah. So then what John does immediately is he goes to the Old Testament. And he quotes two passages in Isaiah. The first one's from Isaiah 53, and the second one's from Isaiah 6. And there's a reason that he does this, because in the book of Isaiah, God tells Isaiah the prophet, I want you to go, I want you to talk about me, I want you to tell the people that I am here and that I care for them. And he says what he tells Isaiah, he says, they will hear but not understand, they will see but not perceive. And this is exactly what's been happening with Jesus. Jesus has been speaking, has been telling them about how he is the light that's come to save us from the darkness. He's been performing miracles. And the ideas of these miracles are to lead people to faith, to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. So John's making this connection. All of you that have heard the Old Testament your whole life, that can memorize it, that can tell us all about it, there's this promised Messiah. And he's letting them know Jesus is that promised Messiah. Jesus is the one who we've been waiting for. All this stuff about who's going to be our Savior, who's going to rescue us, he's telling them it's Jesus. Just so you're clear, it's Jesus. This isn't, this isn't a thing where we're trying to be, uh, you know, gray about this. We're trying to understand that Jesus is the one who's come to be the Messiah. But what I want you to look at, in verse 37, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Now, for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, hopefully we are looking for opportunities where we can share our faith and we can tell others about Jesus. And at times, it can be very discouraging because statistically, it's not a high percentage of people that you're going to tell about Jesus to and that they're going to say, okay, I want to follow Jesus. And so because that percentage is low, it is so easy for us to get discouraged about that. Sometimes to the point where we just don't want to say anything because we think they're going to say no, and that makes us feel bad. And so what I want to remind you of, first of all, is that you're in good company. Jesus was not batting a thousand with his conversion rate. And so if the Savior of the world does not convince everybody to follow him, you're not going to be able to do that either. And so I say that to say, don't be discouraged in those moments. Your responsibility is not for someone else to say yes to Jesus. Your responsibility, if you are a believer, is to share your faith and to talk about what God has done for you in your life. Only God can handle those results. You cannot change someone's heart as much as you want to. So I say that in those moments to be encouraged by that, to, to know that even Jesus himself didn't change everybody. That option was there, but it didn't happen. And so another thing that we need to hit the reality on is sometimes we'll say these words. If I could see Jesus, then I would believe in him. There were lots of people that saw Jesus that did not believe in him. So we need to move past that. Okay, we need to get past this idea, of, well, I'd believe if I saw him. Everything that we need to believe in what Jesus has said is in here. Okay, so we're in the same boat. So we need to understand that seeing Jesus in his physical presence does not guarantee that we would follow him because it didn't do this back then. And so what we see what has been happening in the book of Isaiah that John references is now happening with Jesus. And so that's another way that John is showing 
the people that the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus and in him being here. And so we need to understand, again, we cannot change someone's heart. We cannot change someone's heart. Only God can do that. And so with that in mind, let's look at verse 39. And so verses 39 and 40, we're going to talk about this because it's important we don't skip over these types of verses because they're a little bit harder to accept. For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes. The he he's talking about is God. So let's read it this way. God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. Now, we don't need to pass over that because what it's saying, it's saying is that God has hardened people's hearts. God has closed people's eyes. Why? So there, there are two schools of thought with this. This is talking about God's sovereignty, right? That God is in control and that everything that he has planned is going to happen. And so the two schools of thought, so when it talks about God hardening people's hearts, there are some people who believe that from birth, God has chosen who he's going to pick and who he's not and has hardened some people's hearts so that they will never accept him no matter what happens. And there are other people who are on the side of, well, if you continue to reject God, then eventually he's just going to say, you know what, fine, you can have what you want, which always leads to our own destruction every single time. We're not going to make the right choice because we are not capable of that. And so just to show you, this is the part where you're going to want to get pen and paper out because after the first service, I was told I needed to slow down on this part so that people could write these verses down. This is not the only place in the Bible where it talks about God hardening people's hearts. There are references in the Old and New Testament where God hardens people's hearts. So we need to understand that that's a concept that we have to come to grips with. And so I'm going to give you three passages you can check out later if you want to understand more about this, or if this kind of seems troubling to you, which it does to a lot of people. So the first one is Exodus chapter 9, verse 12. Exodus chapter 9, verse 12, and it talks about how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The next one is Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 28. And that talks about God allowing people to go their own way, and him stepping back and saying, hey, if this is what you want, you can have it. The third one is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. All right, so we got Exodus 9, 12, Romans 1, 24 to 28, and 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 12. And so the reason I say this is because we need to understand that this idea that God is actively involved in things is throughout Scripture. God's not just sitting back with his hands up being like, oh, let's just see what happens. Okay? God's not behaving that way. So we need to ask this question. When it comes to our salvation, is it God's sovereignty? Is God choosing everything? Or are we choosing? Is it our responsibility? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. It's both and. It's both and. And that's hard for us to understand, but we need to think about this. God is completely sovereign. Everything he sets out to do, he will do. Every single thing. Also, you and I are 100% responsible for every choice that we make. Every single choice. And we don't understand that because we want an either or. We either want God to control everything or God to control nothing. But the Bible in so many instances shows us it's both and. It's both and. It has to be both and. 
Now, why does God choose to do it this way? I don't know. Right? And neither do you. Like, we're not God. There's a, we don't understand every single thing that he does and why he chooses to do it. Because then if you did, you would be God. There are some things, do we accept that this is a reality and do we trust that God knows what he's doing or do we think that we could handle things better ourselves? That's kind of the options that we're looking at. And so what I want to say in spite of all this is that we need to celebrate that God is sovereign. We need to celebrate that God is in control of things. And here's what I mean by that. Okay, I have two kids. You don't have to have kids to know this. It just helps me relate to things. I have two kids. When I leave them to make their own choices, it does not always go well, right? What I also realize, though, is even as a 46-year-old man, I don't always make the right choice in what I'm doing. And I called my dad this week. My dad's 75, and I said, hey, at 75, surely you always make the right choice. And he left. So the reality is, from birth to death, we are frequently not making the right choices, Right, last, I, you know, sometimes when, I, when I'm going to preach, God gives me like an object lesson, and it's usually never one that's fun for me. And so just to go on this choice thing, last night, uh, our family went out for a family day, we got back. I don't handle dairy well, and so I decided still to have ice cream last night. That was a poor choice. That was a very poor choice. So even at my age, I'm not making the right choices all the time. You're not making the right choices all the time. So do we really want things to be left up to us? I mean, like, you just think back over this past week. How many times alone over this past week did you make the wrong choice with something? Whether it's the way you, you spoke to your spouse or to your kids or to your friends or to coworkers, or you were rude to somebody who cut you off in traffic. Every one of us, we probably don't even have to go back a full week if we're honest. We can probably go back 24 to 48 hours and we've done something that was not the right thing that we should have done. And we know that. So why on earth would we want to leave our salvation up to us? It doesn't make any sense. Because if God is not sovereign, then there is no reason to pray. And I know that sounds bold, but here's what I mean by that. If God is not actively involved in people's lives, there's no reason to pray. Because if we pray for God to do something, when we're asking God to do something, we're asking God to get involved. We're asking God to do something. Do we really want a God that says, you know what? Hey, let's just, let's see what happens. We don't want a God who says, let's just see what happens. And this hit me the most whenever we had kids. So I remember praying for my kids one night, thinking, you know, God, I hope that my kids make the right choice one day to follow you. And then I began to think, like, that's such a weak prayer. I don't want it left up to my kids. So I changed my prayer to be, God, do whatever it takes to draw my kids to you. If you've got to wreck my life in order to get my kids to come to you, then please do that. That's what I want more than anything. Listen, I hope my kids do well in school. I, you know, I hope they have great friendships, relationships, sports, music, whatever they want to do. I hope that's great. But at the end of the day, I don't care about that. I care about their salvation and whether or not they're going to spend eternity with God. So it's not, please let them make their own choice or make the right choices. God, do everything that you can so that they are left with no choice but to follow you. That's what I want. That's my prayer. That's why I'm grateful for God's sovereignty, because if he is sovereign, then he can do that. And if he's not, then it's just left up to my, own, my kids' whims or the people I love in my life, right? Everybody, all of us have people we know in our life that we love who are not following Jesus. Do you really want that choice left up to them? Or do you want God to be so active 
in what's happening in their lives that they feel they have no choice but to follow him. Because that's what we want. Without that, it's hopeless. That's the only hope we got. And so even with that, as we move to verse 42, John continues in verse 42, he says, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Now that's something we can all relate to. Right? This is, that's a lot more evident in 2022. We deal with that. If you are a believer in this room, you deal with that. Right? Whether it be at work, whether it be with family members, do I identify with Jesus? Do I keep my mouth closed? Like That's a decision that all of us have to make at some point. But what John is saying here is that people like these leaders who don't acknowledge their faith in Jesus are in the exact same position as people who don't believe at all. Let me say that again so you hear that. People who refuse to acknowledge their faith, like these leaders, are in the exact same position as people who don't believe at all. This is what John's saying. And so, again, this is another time for the pen and the paper. Because I'm going to give you three other verses that echo that same thing. They're just saying, I believe in God and then I can go do whatever I want. That's not faith. There's nothing in the Bible that says that is what God has called us to. So first, the first one is James chapter 2, verse 19. And I'm going, to, I'm going to read these out, but you can write these down. James 2, verse 19. He says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. In case you don't know, demons don't have salvation, but yet they believe that God is, exists, that God exists and that God is real. Same thing for us. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. First part of that, if you declare with your mouth. These leaders that John's talking about are refusing to declare with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. So by that verse, they are not saved. And then the big one is Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. This is Jesus speaking. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. If you are scared to talk about Jesus here, then he's not going to be talking about you there. We need to understand that. And this, is a warn- this should be a warning for the church, for those of us who claim to be believers and yet think that it's enough if the only time we talk about Jesus is when we come here for one hour each week. That's not found in Scripture. I mean, if you want to come up with, like, your, your own random thing, like, good luck with that. But there's nothing in the Bible that says it's okay for us to say that we believe, yet there to be nothing in our lives where we're sharing our faith when the opportunity comes up. The Jewish leaders wouldn't admit their faith because they knew it would impact their livelihood and their social status. Because they were at the temple, and that was the place to be. That's where everything happened. So that's where they got their livelihood from, and also they were very very well respected. And so what they thought was, you know what? If I do this, if I talk about Jesus, if I identify with Jesus, then I could lose all that. That's the decision that we come to. If we talk about Jesus, we can lose all that. And so I'm not saying 
that when you go out tomorrow to work or to eat coffee or whatever, that you're beating people over the head with your Bible. That's not what I'm talking about. Every one of us will have an opportunity to identify with Jesus. At some point, whether this week or this month or within this year, you'll have an opportunity to identify with Jesus. In that moment, will you follow what God has called you to do and take advantage of that? Or, like the leaders in this, will you be quiet because you're afraid of how it's going to impact something else? We all have to make that choice. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Lee, you just, you, you don't understand. If I do this at work, there's a chance I could get fired. Okay? I do understand because that happened to me. This, so this, I speak from this with firsthand experience. When uh, I was in seminary, we were living in Mill Valley in a humongous 600-square-foot apartment. Yeah. Exactly. It was huge. It's amazing. Um, and we had just had our second child. So we have an infant and a two-year-old in the house. And at this point, I'm teaching middle school in Novato. So I'm in Novato teaching middle school. Sorry about that. And so I'm teaching seventh grade history. And so towards the end of the school year, there's a chapter in our history book about the Protestant Reformation. So I was like, awesome. I'm going to teach about the Protestant Reformation. It's going to be great. So the first day, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about it, I'm teaching about it, I'm saying things. And so one of my students, a seventh grader, she says, so Mr. Pilgrim, are you saying that you believe in Jesus? And so at that moment, right, like so many things are going through my head. I'm like, this is an opportunity. This is also like, okay, I might get in a little bit of trouble. I did not think I would lose my job over this, right? My thinking is, okay, this kid asked me, so surely it's okay if I respond to the student in class. And so for the next 30 minutes, I was able to share the gospel with 37th graders in Novato, California. A couple of weeks later, I get called in the principal's office, and she says, Lee, we're not going to renew your contract. And so I was like, that seems... And so I said, can I ask why? And she said, well, she, she gave me some reasons that weren't real, weren't real reasons, including one of them being that my classroom management was poor. When in reality, every seventh grade kid that got in trouble that year got put into my class because I knew how to handle them, because I knew how to work with them, because I knew how to get them to believe in themselves. So all those kids got put into my class, which I loved. I loved doing that. And so then as I'm talking to some of the other teachers I know at the school, I said, hey, you know, this is what they're telling me. And I had three separate teachers. They say, you know what? That's not true. Like they said, you remember the day you talked about Jesus in your classroom? That's when they decided not to renew your contract. And so I remember just being floored by that. And I also remember freaking out because, like, going home and telling Lindsay, we got two kids, right? We got an infant. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen when the school year is over. We're about a month, away from, a month or two away from the end of school when this happens. I'm like, I've got no idea what we're going to do. You know, both of our parents are 2,500 miles away, right? We're in Mill Valley. Both of our families are in the south. And not having an idea what we're going to do. And so it hit me in that moment, right? This wasn't a thing where I was trying to be noble and fall on my sword, okay? Don't, don't, don't make this to be a bigger thing than it was. I wasn't trying to be a hero. I was honestly just trying to answer a question, and I did not think I would get in that much trouble. But also the realization that it costs something to follow Jesus. It will cost you something. At some point in your life, it will cost you something. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you a job. Like I said, I did not expect that to happen. I don't, if I didn't know what was going to happen, would I have done things differently? I don't know, right? But what's, what's done is done. Um, and I'm grateful for that time because what I do know 
For all those students, I know on that day they heard the gospel. I don't know if they ever heard it again. I seriously doubt I will see any of them ever again. Or if I do, I probably, like, this was like 10 years ago. I probably don't even know them, what they would look like by now. But to have that opportunity, we're all faced with that. Am I going to identify with Christ, or am I going to keep my mouth closed and sit back in the distance and just let things go as they may? There's one thing that God calls us to do, and that's to follow him. And the reality is that if you stand up for Jesus, if you identify with Jesus, there is no guarantee that it's going to be perfect. There's no guarantee. Listen, I, I don't have some great story that after, this, after that job, I went on to a better job that paid me more money that was more enjoyable. I don't have that story. I found another teaching job. There is no promise that if you stand up for Christ that everything on this earth is going to be rosy for you. The majority of the time, it's going to create a lot more struggle. So then the reality is, are we looking at what's happening here or are we looking for eternity? Because life goes by so fast. If you are, if you are young and you think life takes forever, find someone in the church who's in their 70s or 80s and ask them if life goes by quickly. And they'll tell you, it goes by like that. So the reality is, what are we focusing on? Are we focusing on eternity and where we're going to be forever? Or are we trying to focus on, man, like I don't really want to upset people for these few years. It costs you something to follow Jesus. So the question for you is, is the cost worth it? The leaders that John's talking about, the cost for them, it was not worth it. They looked at it and said, you know, I can either openly acknowledge Jesus or I can keep my status in my job. And they chose their status in their job. And they rejected Christ for it. So this idea that just that we can just believe in everything else, it doesn't matter what else we do, is not in Scripture. It does matter what you do. It matters that you stand up and identify with Christ. That is relevant to our lives. It's what God's calling us to do. And for some of us, before we really make that, like we step out and say, I really want to do that, we kind of want to know, what is God like? Right? Like, like, I understand what he's calling me to do, but what is God like? And luckily for us, Jesus answers this. In, chapter, in verse 44, it says, Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So here's what Jesus is saying. If you want to know who God is, look at me. If you want to know who God is, look at me. God sent Jesus to be everything, to be with us in the flesh. Where he talks about, Jesus says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. In verse 45, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. So if you want to see God, look at Jesus. That's one of the reasons we're going through the Gospel of John, because it talks about the person and the work of Jesus. And that's what we need to study to understand what God is like. And it's amazing what he's like. He said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. I've come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay 
in darkness. So if you want to know if he is worth following, here's how we need to break this down. We need to look at this, the whole picture in reality. Every single one of us, the moment we sin, we are separated from God. Which basically means we're separated from God at birth. Right? I've, I, if you've ever been around children, or if you've ever had children, I think about this for our own house. I didn't have to teach my kids to lie. I didn't have to teach my kids to hit. I didn't have to teach my kids to be deceitful. They did that on, on their own because that's who they are, because that's who we are. We are not born making the right choices. We are born sinful. And so we cannot stand before God and say, you know what, God, I'm good. Check me out. I'm good to go. Because if the standard is perfection, which the Bible says it is, we haven't met that. Like, we, we don't go a full year in life without meeting that. So how do we get to God? If we continue, right, we're not, we continue sinning, right? So what we are doing is effectively increasing the distance between us and God by the way we live our lives. So instead of getting closer to getting back to him, we're getting further and further away. And so God, in those moments, could have rightfully said, you're all condemned. Every one of you has sinned. You have, you have broken relationship with me. Every one of you is condemned. And that would be fair of God to do that. Because when you think about this, you don't want God to be fair. If God is fair, then Jesus doesn't come. That's the reality. You don't want fairness from God. That's the last thing you want from God. You want him to see what he's done. He has seen us, and he loves us so much that he said, you know what, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to send someone that's going to do the things for you that you couldn't do for yourself. So he sent Jesus. Jesus lives the perfect life that we should have lived, but we don't. He died the death that we deserved, and God raised him from the dead. So everything... Jesus has even conquered death. He's done everything to show how he loves us. And that's what's so beautiful about this. For those of you who have not placed your faith in Jesus, Jesus wants you. Understand that like he loves you so deeply and he wants you. He wants you to be with him with everything that he's doing. That's why he went to the lengths that he went to. It says he came to save the Lord to bring you light so that you don't have to stay in darkness. So please understand that if you're here and you've not placed your faith in Jesus, I just want you to see that, to see what he has done for you to come and get you because he did something you never could have done on your own. And so the right response for that for us is just to bow down in worship, not to be like, hey, God, I'm, I'm going I'm to make it up to you. You can't do that. It's just to worship and see him for who he is. And for those of you that are believers that are here, I really want you to ask the question, is there any scenario in my life where I'm choosing not to identify with Jesus? Is there a place in my life where I'm choosing not to identify with Jesus? And so if there is that place, uh, my prayer is that you'll, you'll take that to God, right? Because God is ready and willing to forgive us of that. And there's also, at some point, at some point, probably not too long, there will be an opportunity for you to identify with Jesus. Is the cost worth it for you? You've got to decide that. Is the cost worth it for you to identify with Jesus and be with him? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are, Lord. 
God, I thank you that you do not leave us to ourselves because that will always end in destruction for us. God, we thank you so much that you saw us knowing that we could not get back to you and you provided a way for us to get back to you. How crazy is that? God, we have rejected you so many times in our lives and instead of condemning us as you would have been rightful to do, you instead love us. God, that should blow our mind, Lord, the fact that you exchanged our, our sin for your righteousness. Lord, I don't know why you would do that, but I'm so grateful that you do. God, I'm thankful for your sovereignty, Lord. God, I pray that we'll see, Lord, when we think about the people that we love, that we care about, who are not following you, Lord, God, I pray that we see, Lord, that our prayer becomes that you will do something so powerful in their lives that they have no choice but to follow you. God, only you can change hearts, Lord. And for those who need their hearts changed and transformed this morning, God, I pray that you'll do that. God, we thank you for the ways that you love us. We thank you for the opportunity to sing to you this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. In your son's name I pray. Amen.